Hello and welcome to the MUS in Focus podcast, the show that brings experiencing politics at Model European Union Strasbourg closer to your ears. Every episode, we bring to the forefront current and former participants or organizers to help you have a better understanding of how the oldest simulation of European politics operates. And now, let's put MUS in focus. Hello there, listeners. My name is Selen. And I'm Giuliano. We're both content officers in MUS 2020. And today we'll be discussing the proposal for a regulation on emission performance standards for new passenger cars and new light commercial vehicles. So we'll begin with a short description of the proposal. Well, first of all, the proposal has some goals. Uh, the first and more straightforward goal is that the Commission wants to reduce carbon dioxide and nitrogen ox uh, oxide emissions. Uh, this last gas is more importantly concerning the transport sector. Uh, the provision that has this goal will be combined with an incentive mechanism to put more zero or low emissions cars in our vehicles on the streets. And this combination would ensure that the European automotive industry maintains its leadership in technology while increasing its competitiveness. Yes, precisely. And at the same time, contributing to better air quality that leads to a number of benefits to public health. Another aspect of this proposal is that the Commission wants to send a signal to the industrial sector that it's time to innovate and invest, as well as creating jobs and increasing investment. The Commission also wants to make sure that more and more zero or low emission vehicles are on the streets as soon as possible, and that current fossil fuel technologies are more efficient in order to pollute less. These measures would essentially end up reducing costs, making less polluting cars more economically appealing. Yeah. And last but not least, uh, the Commission wants to make sure that the assessment of carbon dioxide emission values are the same both inside factories and on the road. So we don't have another diesel gate all over again. So how does this proposal set out to achieve this aim, you ask? That's a good question. Uh, I think that we talk a good deal about what the proposal wants to achieve, but now I think it's time that we should talk a little about how it's going to achieve it like what precisely is in the proposal. So, Cillian, what are some key provisions of this proposal? Well, the first provision is the targets. They're actually based on existing policy, the new European driving cycle, uh, in which there is... Wait, 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 what is that? The new European driving cycle? Yeah. Oh, okay, so it's a driving cycle designed for the assessment of emission levels of passenger cars. And a driving cycle is essentially a set of data points that represent the speed of a vehicle according to the time. Oh, okay. So continuing, in the new European driving cycle, there's a standard for 2020 of 95 grams of carbon dioxide per kilometer for cars and 147 grams of carbon dioxide per kilometer for vans. And just so that the audience can have a reference, uh, in 2018, the average, the average emissions uh, in the EU were more than 120 grams of carbon dioxide for cars and 158 for vans. It might not seem like a big difference, but considering that there are millions of cars and vans in the EU, it is actually quite a big difference. Yeah, and additionally, the proposal has new targets for 2025 and 2030. From 2021 onwards, the specific emission targets would be based on the new World Harmonized Light Vehicle Test Procedure, or WLTP. 
Wait a second. What is what is what exactly is this procedure? Okay, so I'm glad you asked. The World Harmonized Light Vehicle Test Procedure is a global harmonized standard procedure uh, that aims to determine the levels of pollutant emissions and fuel consumption of traditional, hybrid, and electric cars. Perfect. Well, the targets based on this procedure for 2025 and 2030 would be expressed as percentage reductions. This means that there would be a 15% reduction from 2025 onwards and a 30% reduction from 2030 onwards. This is, of course, in relation to the average of each manufacturer's specific emission targets for 2021. Yes, of course. Well, jumping into our number two provision we have, the distribution of effort. This is actually a reduction of CO2 emissions that would be done among manufacturers according to the average fleet mass over a certain period. Currently, there's a limit value curve uh, to pinpoint the specific emission targets for individual manufacturers. This quote-unquote curve, which is actually a line, sets the relationship between CO2 emissions and the vehicle mass. Uh, this leads to heavier cars being permitted to emit more carbon dioxide than lighter cars. Yeah, exactly. However, the overall target, the overall average target of 95 grams of CO2 per kilometer is still taken into account. And the effort to reduce emissions will be distributed equally among manufacturers, with every kind of vehicle needing to reduce emissions by a certain percentage. Well, next provision, provision number three, we have ZLEV. And just a quick remark for those who don't know, ZLEV is an acronym that stands for Zero and Low Emission Vehicles. Uh, what concerns them is that the proposal includes an incentive mechanism for them, hoping to make them more attractive for consumers. And just another thing, uh, despite being put in the same category, there's a difference between zero emissions and low emissions vehicles. Zero emissions are electric or fuel cell vehicles, while low emissions are mainly plug-in hybrid vehicles equipped with both a conventional and an electric engine. Uh, that's it. Um, besides the consumer incentive that I mentioned before, uh, there is an incentive for manufacturers as well, since they will be granted more lenient carbon dioxide targets if they have a proportion of ZLAS greater than the proposed benchmark levels of 15% in 2025 and 30% in 2030. It's also interesting to add that the emission performance of the vehicles would be considered. This means that a zero emission vehicle will be weighted more heavily and so incentivize more than a low emission vehicle. Well, moving on, we'll have provision number four, implementation. Uh, this provision actually is a grouping of several provisions that aim at the most cost-effective implementation of the proposal. The first part concerns the pooling arrangements of excess emissions premiums between different manufacturers. Uh, regarding this, uh, the Commission will have the power to draft the specifics concerning this issue. So the next part uh, concerns the derogations the niche manufacturers of cars can benefit from. A niche manufacturer is essentially defined as a manufacturer that uh, registers between 10,000 and 300,000 new vehicles per year. And nonetheless, it is worth mentioning that small volume manufacturers, defined as those that register between 1,000 and 10,000 cars and between 1,000 and 22,000 vans, would still be able to apply for derogation from the specific emissions targets. So the last part of this provision concerns eco-innovations, um, uh, meaning that manufacturers could benefit from reduced average emissions by equipping their vehicles 
with approved eco-innovations. Uh, so the, the criteria for eco-innovations to be considered eligible would stay the same until the end of 2024. But from 2025 onwards, air conditioning equipment would also become eligible for consideration as an eco-innovation. So last but not least, we reach our last provision, which is governance. Well, governance here refers to specific elements that have, between, have been newly introduced to strengthen the effectiveness of this regulation. Uh, the first one relates to the verification of carbon dioxide emissions of vehicles in service. How does that work? Essentially, uh, it seeks to confirm that vehicles placed on the market and reference vehicles tests show the same results. Uh, designated authorities would need to report any detected difference to the commission, who would then take into the consideration when checking the compliance of manufacturers with their targets. Uh, these authorities would also need to check whether or not there are in place any strategies that artificially improve the performance of the vehicle in the tests. Uh, so as mentioned not long ago, this has as its aim preventing another dieselgate. Okay, got it. Uh, the second element uh, is the measures that ensure the emission test procedure results are representative of real-world emissions. Uh, in order to do it, the Commission, starting in 2021, will regularly gather data on real-world carbon dioxide emissions and energy consumptions of cars using onboard fuel consumption monitoring devices, or OBFCMs. Could you clarify what an OBFCM is? I'm sure. Uh, this was basically mean that it will be essentially a fuel consumption meter that is equipped in all cars. Okay, a fuel consumption meter. Got it. All clear. Clear. So now that we have explained what's in the proposal, it's time to see which are the most controversial parts of it. And for this, we'll be inviting a special guest to discuss this proposal with us. Sophia, Deputy Director General from the Commission's Directorate for Environment. Uh, yes, thank you for joining us today, Sophia. Uh, what would you say are the most controversial aspects of this proposal? Hello, you two, and thank you for the invitation. Um, I would say the first contentious topic is definitely the targets. In what way? Are they seen as too high? Well... That's the thing. Depending on which group you ask, the proposal is either way too ambitious or not ambitious enough. So around this ambition level debate, debate there are concerns about the impacts on competi competitiveness, jobs and consumers. Ah, I see. Then there's, of course, the argument over how these targets will impact each member state differently. Um, for some, it's hard. For some, they are harder to meet. For some, they're not, etc. Um, another controversial point is the incentives to zero and low emission vehicles, which can be varied into two parts. The first part of contention regarding um, those Z labs is that despite the proposal not favoring any particular technology in principle, it is argued that it does advantage electric vehicles in practice. Uh, what do you mean? How does it do this? Well, the argument for this goes that different technologies, including fossil fuel engines, can attain the emission re uh, reduction being aimed for. <clears throat> the supporters of this particular argument criticize the proposal for overlooking the life cycle performance of cars um, and batteries, electricities or fuels, which can also have a negative impact. Oh, okay. Got it. 
Yeah, well, just like the controversy with targets being from both sides, another point is that there has also been opposition by consumer organizations for not imposing a binding market share for electric vehicles. What would a binding market share achieve? Proponents of this argument say that it would promote the entry of electric cars into the market more quickly and also make these vehicles more affordable for consumers by lowering costs. Okay, got it. Yes. Well, these are some of the general controversies surrounding the proposals. However, as you can imagine, there are many more, of course. In relation to uh, consumer uh, choice, uh, as currently cast, uh, all the... Uh, I can see will happen is that consumer choice will be uh, more limited. It, it's clear that uh, prices will rise. The price difference between a traditional, traditional uh, engine and a motor vehicle and a battery-operated vehicle is significant uh, as it is. This proposal, as currently cast, will simply uh, cut down on social mobility, harming those on the lowest incomes uh, right across uh, Europe and also harming those in particular in rural areas who depend on personal transport and don't have uh, access uh, to uh, public transport. Administrations of member states um, are lagging behind and are not creating enough uh, motivation uh, for consumers to buy electric cars. That's why GUE NGL will uh, want to raise ambitions in the uh, promotion of clean and energy efficient vehicles. That, uh, tail that electric car cars are without um, uh, any CO2, it's not actually true. In uh, the case of electric cars, in certain EU uh, member states, the situation will be that instead of having an exhaust pipe on your car, you will have it 50 kilometers down the road in a power plant. And, uh... In relation to uh, uh, infrastructure, we, we see and we know the infrastructural uh, challenges uh, of uh, deploying uh, charging points. I don't think there's a, a grasp in terms of the, just the sheer number of charging points. It, it's simply not appropriate to say, well, there's a charging point here, here, or here. Indeed, you, you, you look around uh, this town and you see the availability. We're not talking under these proposals about charging a car or two or three. We're looking at charging hundred, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of cars uh, within uh, uh, principal uh, towns and cities on a daily basis. Uh, and in terms of the cost implications of that infrastructure, uh, that's simply not, uh, uh, not dealt with uh, or, or met. In fact, now I don't believe that the problem is infrastructure. Everything I've heard tells me that the companies are building these charging stations very quickly. Many of these could be, for example, at the workplace or at home. Uh, the problem uh, comes in relation to uh, targets. Uh, I and the ECR group have uh, no difficulty with the setting of targets, but they have to be uh, realistic and uh, a, uh, achievable. Um, what we see is a slightly positive effect when we have a 30% target. Uh, what we see already when we go to a 40% target, that is the last scenario we analyzed, is that at least in the automotive industry we will see a drop of 0.5% in terms of employment. Um. 
Customer benefits were mentioned, um, and here I would like to make a quick remark because different studies contradict also what the Commission um, came up with because of the very conservative cost curves that they say the Commission um, took in its um, studies that were presented. But you can use a car and drive with it uh, 100 kilometers per hour on the roads, or you can drive 180. Um, of course, the emissions of 180 kilometers is far above what you would measure at 100 kilometers per hour. So how would you take this into account? I think that is going to take a very long time. That doesn't mean that we don't see the need also to look at real driving emissions and to see what is happening in reality. But whether that is, should be the basis for the compliance system and for a labeling system as you propose I think that is questionable also in terms of the costs. But we do have to close this gap in type approval and we have to really verify the CO2 emissions situation on the ground. Now, Miriam Daly uh, talks about the weight parameter. If I've understood correct, correctly, you want to delete that completely and not replace it with anything else. Now, I'm critical on that point because are there other parameters? If so, let's talk about that. The footprint, for instance, would be one such possible parameter. But, you know, a car that has to fit in the whole family, children, you know, six, seven-seater cars, you can't actually compare that to a small vehicle with just two seats in it. You can't do that. So we need to find some kind of tweak there, some kind of adaptation. As you can hear, there are definitely more controversies about it, uh, just like our expert underlined. We would like to thank Sophia again for joining us today. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out the other podcast on the online sale of goods. If you liked this episode, please rate us on the platform you are using, share the podcast and tell a friend about it. Until next time on MUS In Focus.